0: Hey there, everybody. Welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. Uh, My name is Kevin and I'm joined uh, by Ala. We are both teachers and tutors here at the LSAT Demon, which you can find at lsatdemon.com. We've got a really intriguing episode for you today. We're discussing um, how we develop when we learn that is taking a microcosmic look at how learning works on a given task. Um, of course, that sounds very mundane, but we're gonna apply <laughs> it to the LSAT demon and the studying process. So it, I promise that it's relatable. <laughs> um, all has come up with actually a very simple, but very entertaining way to describe this process. So
1: Yeah, so this idea in this episode, I feel like is um, Kevin's baby a little bit, but <laughs> as I was trying to do some research and understand what Kevin wanted to talk about today, We wanted to talk about the four stages of competence. Kevin's going to give you some of the details on that. But really, what I've boiled it down to is what, how, whoa, and yeah. Those are the four stages. And we're going to mark them um, as we go through. But Kevin, tell us a little bit about what this is.
0: Yeah, I I just want to say this very succinct description of the whole thing. I I love it. (laughs) I've been laughing about it for a little while. but uh the whole idea is you know as we go through the learning process we start with something that we don't know and we turn it into something that we can do very naturally um this applies to pretty much anything that you do um a lot of people compare it to like when you drive a car you know you have no idea no idea what you're doing when you're driving a car over time you start to figure out okay i'm doing this wrong doing this wrong and then you start okay let me think about what i'm doing uh when i'm driving am i doing the things correctly and then finally you just hop in the car and start driving without even thinking about it so yeah that's the four stages of competence we'll kind of dissect each of those four stages um, as we go but uh and we'll apply and make more sense uh to how it works with the LSAT demon as we keep going but let's start with this first step um the first stage of the four stages of competence it's called unconscious co- it, excuse me I've already messed up <laughs> it's <laughs> unconscious incompetence so you have unconscious first part incompetence and those will change as we keep going through the steps. But what is, what is that first stage about?
1: Yeah. So the first and it's, it's funny, Kevin, you have it on the board and behind you, but that was your mistake is you can't see it, but I can see it. So you've set me up for success. (laughs) I'll probably still mess it up like a hundred times. I didn't Um, think this through. But yeah, yeah, so unconscious incompetence Um, to boil it down. um, This is like the what stage that I talked about, right? It's the what like, what is this? I have no idea what's going on here. It's entirely new. You're a newborn baby, right? When you, um, when you pick up something that you're trying to learn and you just have no idea what it is. Yeah. It's, you don't know what you don't know. You don't even know what to learn at all. It's just the complete, the nascent phase um, of learning in general.
0: Yeah. It's so foreign to you. You're like, where do I even start? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm just going to circle a and keep going. You know, that, that sort of thing. You don't <laughs> know what's happening. That's, yeah. Everybody's been there. And all the teachers, yeah. everybody's been there. Um, kind of a more interesting aspect of this stage. There's some of you might have heard this before. We're pulling this directly from Wikipedia, by the way. Um, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. The definition of it is a cognitive bias whereby people with low ability, expertise, or experience regarding a certain type of task or area of knowledge tend to overestimate their ability or knowledge. And like I said, this happens to everybody. Um, The most common example that you might have seen on, especially on if you follow YouTube shorts or TikToks, you'll see Homer Simpson building a barbecue pit and he puts up the picture of the barbecue pit and it looks beautiful. You know, it's just the, it's the cover of the instruction page and then he lowers it and his barbecue pit that he's trying to create is absolutely terrible. Um, You know, he's never, he's never done something like that before and he thinks he can do it. And, like i said every all the teachers have done the same thing you know we when i first studied for the lsat i scored quite a bit lower than what i scored now um, but when i took the test i was like oh yeah i know the answer to this and i was wrong <laughs> you know so it's, yeah this is not a put down by any means it's like this is just one of the stages and everybody goes through it
1: absolutely and we want to make that really clear like we're not trying to condescend to anybody we are actually in this kind of process for everything that we do when i first started teaching the lsat i absolutely was in the, you know, the unconscious incompetence stage where I didn't know everything that I was doing. I was drawing from my expertise on the test and I was, you know, trying to cater to my students the best I could. But that's something that happened to me when I started doing the teaching job that I do now. Um, And it's definitely going to be something that me and Kevin um, get into when we start law school this fall. It's going to be terrifying. (laughs) We don't even know what we don't know.
0: Yeah. It feels like you're swimming, but you have no idea how to swim. it's uh it's
1: like uh it's like slightly more graceful drowning um is basically (laughs) what the unconscious incompetent stage feels like because you don't know the depths you don't understand like the mechanics of the action you understand absolutely nothing about it and this is where we all start um the i'm i guess i'm in charge of boiling things down into like fun ideas for this episode (laughs) and i'm happy to take that role on but think about someone like michael scott Michael Scott is kind of somebody that's perpetually stuck in the um, <laughs> the unconscious incompetence stage. I also argue that he's probably also in the fourth stage that we're going to tell you about. He's the, he's either in the first stage or the fourth stage and nothing in between. They coexist. In some things he does really well and he doesn't know why he does them. But the vast majority of things he does, <laughs> he's he just doesn't know what he doesn't know. And yeah. he never, ever seeks to change that. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's. You know. It's like. We're not. Again. We're not trying to stereotype and saying they're like. If you're in the stage, you're a bumbling. Person, you know. You're. Everybody starts somewhere. The two we picked are just humorous examples of that. But. Um. You know. You're a newbie. You're a novice. You're getting the hang of things. You're trying to figure out the world that's in front of you, and that's the first very crucial stage to the four stages of competence.
1: Yeah, and you're in good company if you're like this, right? You're in super duper good company. Everybody including people like, I don't know, anybody that you admire is going to have started their journey somewhere in this area. And we've all felt this way. Um, and be proud of the fact that even though you don't know what you don't know, you're still venturing into this, right? Absolutely. Like the, It takes bravery and courage and a lot of um, being able to mitigate risk and understand risk and sit with risk in order to get out of the first stage. A lot of students, start here and they never go through any more stages they just stop here because it's just too overwhelming and i applaud anybody that's willing to sit in stage one feel super duper uncomfortable and still want to keep going
0: yeah and i agree and not only that some people don't even get started they're like i want to be a lawyer i want to make change and then they're like oh wait i have to take the lsat no thanks it's like yeah taking that first brave step not only being in that stage and continuing to take those brave steps um that's crucial too so
1: yeah.
0: Awesome. So the next stage, stage two of four, it's called conscious incompetence. So that we drop the un from unconscious incompetence. It's now conscious incompetence. Um, what's that stage about?
1: Yeah, that stage is really interesting. I think I'm somebody that, um, that gets really overwhelmed in this stage of learning, right? It's the idea of knowing how big the mountain that you're trying to climb is in front of you, right? Seeing the magnitude of what you're trying to go through and then being really impacted by it, you may have also seen the, um, you know, the the idea of what we're talking about in phrases like imposter syndrome. Um, imposter syndrome, if for those of you that don't know, is essentially this idea where people like doubt their skills or their talent or their innate abilities, um, or even accomplishments, um, and they have this fear that they're a fraud. Um, this actually reminds me of like, so I was a community college student and then I, I transferred to UCLA and I was terrible at school. I was like awful at primary school, like all the way through 12th grade. I was just terrible, terrible at school. And when I did community college, that's when I found like my love of learning. And that's when I went into like actually trying to, to grow as a student. I had never had the time or the patience to, to do that. And I loved it. I started loving like education as a concept in community college. And when I transferred, I went to UCLA and it was really scary for me because I was in a place and I somewhere like super deep inside. I was like, maybe I earn this. But most of it was just like me being utterly terrified about the fact that I was in this massive institution. And these are schools that like, you know, my friends used to brag about getting into in high school and I would have had no chance with, you know, the, with the GPA I had at that point in time. And now like, and then I was like sitting in like orientation for UCLA, just like shaking, like a little, like, like a little bird. And the first thing, and I don't remember who it was. It must've been like one of the deans, um, in the college was like, Hey, I want you guys to know that you earned this, like you deserve to be here. And that was magical for me. Cause it like reduced my imposter syndrome by half because you know, he knew the fears that we were all experiencing. And then I realized probably everybody in this room also is feeling imposter syndrome Oh yeah, and it's a good stage to be in because you understand the magnitude of what's in front of you, but it's also one of the most challenging because it's, a, it's sometimes like an emotional mental health related um, process to go through because you don't know how to fix it, but you do know what the problem is.
0: Yeah. That's so daunting. You know, it's, it's, it's the humbling stage because it's like, man, I feel like everything I'm doing is wrong because you're now recognizing that you're doing it wrong. And it's like, Oh, just give me, I want to do something right. Just let me do something. right. You know? (laughs) And that's, that's, that's this stage and kind of similar to the last one. If you can convince yourself to keep going, it will get better. I promise it will get better. Then you're already set up to succeed for the rest of the stages. So
1: when you're aware of the fact that you're incompetent and that's what this you know the, these terms are quite stark in in how the yeah, stages are named, right? Like you're conscious that you're incompetent. Doesn't sound very nice. So it's my job to make it sound a little bit nicer. <laughs> what we what that means and what that has to do with your LSAT journey in general is that you're start you accept or maybe at least partially have accepted the fact that this test makes sense and that there are rules to this. You just don't understand the rules yet or how to apply them. You're like, okay, I get that worlds can help but I have no idea how to like really start implementing what those rules are or how to start building worlds. You maybe just be putting your, you know, toe into the water to figuring out the pieces of it. And it is, I think by far, the most overwhelming stage because of the massive difference in terms of what you, what, you know, you have to do and not being able to use any of the tools in front of you to do what you're trying to do. Um, and if you are in this stage, be kind to yourself and oh, yeah. understand that just, just accepting, just accepting that there's a conscious aspect to this is like half the battle.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. And you know, another crucial thing is just try, you know, trying is how you learn, making mistakes is how you learn. And this is the definite stage to to progress uh, through that, yeah. through that aspect. This
1: is where you make the mistakes.
0: Yep. Yep. And don't be ashamed of that. That's, that's how, that's how we get through it. And, one more thing with the imposter syndrome, just because we mentioned it here in this stage doesn't mean it's also pre, uh, prevalent in the latter stages, too. So, imposter syndrome occurs throughout and it will make more sense as we keep going through these other stages. But... We
1: get imposter syndrome in our classes. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I teach classes or I'm, you know, uh, I'm like teaching a question where it's a hard question or something like that. And, you know, it still impacts me and it's still something that I, I sit with every day. And it's going to happen in law school, it's going to happen all the time. Um, and it's not, it's not special to any one phase, but this is like probably where it fits the most.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you come to our classes, you might see some of the teachers every once in a while, just go 404.exe not working. You know, we're just like, what's happening? Let me just double check. Okay. No, I yeah. got it. You know, that's that stage too with the, with the yeah. imposter syndrome. So yeah.
1: Happens to the best of us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now we're moving on to the third stage, which is conscious competence. So we dropped Again, we don't have the unstill. We don't have the in. Those are both gone. So it's conscious confidence. Um, and this is a big stage. This is where you're starting. Things are starting to click, right? Ella? Yeah,
1: it's the most exciting stage, y'all. It's like when you're starting to put the pieces together and you're starting to figure out how the tools work. And I think this might be the stage that's probably the biggest culprit for a lot of plateaus that students share. So I run this class called Plateau Pulverizer where we focus on different strategies that might help you out if you are somebody that's stuck in a plateau. And I would categorize, and as Kevin you know, shared this four stages of, of learning and how, how competency works in general, I started like, you know, my, my brain started firing off and I was like, wow, there are so many connections to this, to this, the questions that I get every day in class and to plateau specifically. I think this conscience, conscious, Competence stage?
0: <laughs> say five times yeah. fast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't even say it one time slow. Neither can I. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, the conscious competence stage is where students are figuring out how things work. They can start doing worlds. They understand that the an, that the passage is a collection of all the right answers, right? They're putting the pieces together. They're maybe even doing relatively well, right? They're starting to get questions right. Things are clicking, things are moving, and it's really exciting but it's not innate yet. It's not in your bones, right? It's in your brain, right? You're, you're, you're going through the motions. You understand the process, but it's not like, it's not a reflex. Yeah. (laughs) And this is a little bit of a spoiler alert for the fourth stage, but I do think that this third stage of conscious competence is where a lot of students, especially those students that maybe have gotten like a little bit higher than their diagnostic score. Now, maybe they are 10 points, 15 points away And this is where you need to get greedy, where you need to hunker Mm -hmm. down and commit to the work. And we're saying this because we've both done it. We've both plateaued significantly in the one sixties. And the only reason we went into the one seventies is because we decided we wanted to make this like as an innate process to how we tackle the LSAT.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, nobody has the same timeline, right? I mean, I, yeah. I you know I've shared this in uh, different podcasts about my Elsåt journey, but I got three official attempts of the Elsåt where I got a 168. It was very frustrating. It's like, oh my gosh, I know what I'm doing. Sure, I'm you know thinking through it in my head and trying to figure it out, but I want to see progress. You know, I'm stuck here. I'm just stuck here. But you know, this is the this is the stage where. You know, like I was say, you know, worlds. You know, kind of different different ways to attack logical reasoning questions. How to read reading comprehension? It's just the process. You have to think about it for a second. You have to go, um, oh yeah, okay. So with worlds, I'm going to split here. Or, um, oh yeah, I need to go through each rule and make sure I bake them into my worlds. You know, or with reading comprehension and logical reasoning, you're like, okay, how can I attack this guy? Let me think about how to connect this to my own personal life and attack this guy. Oh, you're wrong here. That sort of thing. You have to think about that. And that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with that at all. It's just, that's the stage that we're in with conscious competence, so. um, Yeah,
1: and another example I might bring up is that when I was stuck in also the 160s, and I also had an official score in the 160s like three or four times, I think, something like that. (laughs) And then my final ended up being what I wanted it to be. Um, But I had this part of my studying where for six months, I could not score higher than a 162. Like that just became my number and I just could not get out of it. And for six months, I was doing I was doing it the LSAT demon way. I was taking a section, reviewing. I was occasionally going to the live classes. I was putting in the work. I wasn't trying to overthink it. I had a study buddy. I was doing everything right. And it still wasn't moving past the 162. And then I had a mindset shift and it was unrelated. It had to do like with my confidence, actually a little bit to do with the my imposter syndrome. And the next practice test I took And mind you, so up until then, hadn't gotten above a 162. My next practice test was something like a 169 or a 170. So that isn't me turning on some magical switch where, you know, by osmosis, like, you know, (laughs) Garfield style, like I learned something that wasn't there before. It wasn't about content at all. It wasn't about strategy at all. It's that for six months straight, I had done the work to get to the 170s. It just hadn't manifested in my score yet and that is the most frustrating part about conscious competence is you see the work you're doing the work you're going through the motions and you're aware of everything that you have to do but that shift into it becoming more automatic it takes time and it's different for everybody right for me it took a certain amount of time for you it might be shorter it might be longer but it's about committing to making it something that really is in your bones as a reflex
0: reflex yeah um and yeah i can agree more agree more with that but the, you know not, not only you know are you stuck in in this rut or whatever and you're 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 getting things right and stuff when you get that score increase when you get that change where you suddenly see you know the end product you're like yes i finally did it you just didn't some sub- like like i was saying you just didn't suddenly get better you've been getting better this whole time it's just it finally uh converged on itself and you know
1: Yeah, it's like the planets lining up type of thing, right? It's like you're moving everything, you're trying to get it into place, and all of a sudden it looks good. And it's nothing happened special in the last minute or the last day or the last week before you get to that stage. It's actually everything that you did before then that's going to get you there. Um, and we know that students would love sort of like the magic bean approach, as yeah. I think Nathan calls it, of just like it wanting wanting it to work. And we get that. We've all felt that way. We guarantee it. We just wish that it would just like finally we'd have like a super great day and it also be on the official test day. And then I get like my best score and then I'm done and I don't ever have to think about it. Um, we know what that feels like. We get it.
0: Yeah. Um, I wish we could all drink from that idealistic cup. That'd be great.
1: Yeah. But, um, it, but it's not about that. It's about the day-to-day and the long-term practice that that you're willing to commit to.
0: Yeah. Cause you are getting better. It's just happening in very small increments. And that's awesome. <laughs> so we, you know, to provide a bit more of a realistic example here to this stage, uh, we've thought of it as like a montage, you know, it's part of the journey, you know, it's like the exciting moment when things start coming together and you're anticipating the final product. Uh, you know, the Rocky training montage, Maynard Ferguson's trumpet solo in the background, you know, and you're climbing up the Philadelphia steps, you're, you know, getting, getting into shape, getting ready to go. And, um, you're in the zone. That's that's kind of yeah. what this stage is all about. So.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to specifically make a baseball reference on this episode because yesterday was um, opening day and I'm very, very excited. And Kevin and I are both Mariners fans, which yeah. is even better go that we're doing this. <laughs> Which and I wanted to bring in, bring up an uh, an example of pitch clock in spring training. So for those of you that don't know, um, the MLB recently changed the rules where pitchers only have fifteen seconds in between pitches to like essentially like reset and then throw the ball. The idea is to like make games not you know twelve days long and closer yeah. to, like two two and a half <laughs> hours. Um, and it's you know an idea to to sort of make it less of a a, a taxing ordeal for everybody involved. But I'm I'm actually gonna miss the four hour games. I don't know Me about too. you, Kevin.
0: Watching it on but, a TV is different, but in, in person it was an enjoyable four hours. Yeah, I
1: agree. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the change and that's the shift. And when they implemented they announced the pitch clock like a while ago and spring training, which was like for roughly like the last month or so, they've had the pitch clock in spring training. So these are the games that like don't really count towards um, the final numbers and these are games that have been going on and they've had the pitch clock up for pitchers to practice. This is now a baseball podcast by the way. Um oh, yeah. we're coming for you, John Boy. So and and I, I just think Kevin we have to make a baseball reference every time we do an episode. We just hey, we down. should just guarantee that. Yeah. <laughs> for for maximum audience retention, we should just guarantee <laughs> that this is now a baseball podcast and we're going to do at least one reference.
0: We're going to start a promo sort of thing even <laughs> where the the keyword is a baseball term. So if you're listening in the future, this is this is our new Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would love that. But the reason I'm bringing up the pitch clock, and it is relevant, is that the players had to practice with the pitch clock and it had to understand the mechanics of changing the way that they pitch, understanding how the game is going to progress, figuring out how to um, make sure that their attack is efficient against different batters that they're facing. All of that is work that they did in spring training. And if you catch a regular baseball game now that the season has started, you'll notice that they're going to make less mistakes they're on their game now and they practiced the way that they play or the way that they need to play now the, this sort of four stage process of learning is something athletes are intimately aware of and it's probably something that they talk about all the time in gearing up for these big um you know big things that they're going to undertake in their in their lives um and we wanted to talk about these four stages for this reason because. The LSAT at the end of the day is a performance based test. It's asking you to do that same thing that you did in your practice on the official test in the same way. And so this conscious competence stage, getting getting really committed to what we're asking you to do here is going to pay massive dividends down, um, down the line.
0: Yeah. Yep. Elsa it's one stage of your life. Right now it's taking the forefront, probably, which is totally normal. Um, but you know, applying this sort of four stages thing, you're gonna do this with everything that you do. So, but yes, we are a baseball podcast and we're gonna move on to the fourth step uh called unconscious competence. So we've added un back into the equation. Unconscious incompetent, or excuse me, unconscious competence. I did it again. <laughs> For those of you watching, there are all four stages are on my whiteboard here. So hopefully you can see them. Um, instead of me butchering them on 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 live podcast but um this is the natural stage and w- what's that kind of entailing? Alla.
1: Yeah, so I think the best way that I can describe it is that um I was in class uh, a couple of weeks ago and we had a question and I went through the question and then we were attacking as we were going through it was an LR question. Um, and then we predicted what the problem with the argument was. We went into the question and we had sort of a moment where we refined our prediction. We were totally on a roll. It was going really well. I was almost done reviewing the question, and somebody in the chat goes, Hey, Ala, is this confusing, sufficient for necessary? And mm-hmm. my brain was like, What? What is that? <laughs> I, <laughs> didn- like- I didn't even, I-, I like resisted the student asking me if it was sufficient for, um, if it was confusing, <laughs> sufficient for necessary. And I had to stop and go, holy shit, this is confusing sufficient for necessary. And I didn't even think about it in those terms because I have spent so much time with the LSAT drilling down on these things. I've spent time with students, I've spent time in classes. I have, and so is Kevin and all the teachers at the Demon. We've reached this final stage of of, um, unconscious competence where we just naturally flow as we attack the LSAT and this is the sort of Zen mode that all students can get to, right? We were students once. Like I was literally in Nathan's in-person classes. Like I was just like you guys. I had a diagnostic of 145, super duper normal, right? The the reason that I've gotten here is through that practice and is going through these phases. Um, and when I, was, when I was in that class and that student pointed out, I was like flabbergasted because I was like, holy shit, I wasn't even monitoring that at all. It, it yeah. wasn't even about that. And that's what this unconscious competence feels like. And you guys the in the audience, our students definitely have felt this in other arenas of your life. If, if you're not there with the LSAT, that's totally fine. If you're not there with the LSAT, think about other things that you're really good at and think about how it feels um, to actually do this. Another example that I might br- bring up is I've moved like several times in the last couple of years into into new apartments and in new houses. It's been a lot of moving. And one of the ways that I measure whether I've settled into a new home is whether if I make up in the middle of the night, if I can go pee and get back into bed without like a single <laughs> like conscious thought, that means that's the marker for okay, I've finally adjusted You've you done know, it. to, to life here. I've I've done it. It's <laughs> it's done now. I've moved in. <laughs> right? Like think about you auto auto autopilot moving through your home you don't think about where the couch is or where the door is you just go do it yeah yeah and that is what the lsat can feel like once you put in the practice and once you commit to this
0: i love that example it's not something i would have thought of right away but yeah you're absolutely right it's the same thing (laughs) um no yeah this is the natural part of your cycle uh with with the four stages of competence if you get to the stage it's like you just get in the car and driving you know if you could drive it yeah point, that's it's the same thing you just you know think about where the brake is where the gear shift is where the steering well hopefully you know where the steering wheel is i mean, you're touching it but um you know <laughs> you just don't think about it um yep so we were talking about how the teachers you know we've gone through the stage but just because we've done it and we're doing it now doesn't mean you can't do it either so uh you can be the monk on top of the mountain it it can happen. So.
1: Yes. And you can come for our jobs. I worry about my job security (laughs) all the time in my classes. Once my students start getting better, I was like, these guys are going to take my job and I would be super happy. I wouldn't be able to teach, which would be sad, but I'd be super happy that one of my students took my spot.
0: I'm in the same boat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be very humbling experience. Um, So this kind of goes back to, you know, we've talked through the whole four stages, you're probably wondering if you're this far as still listening to the podcast, you're like, why the heck are you talking about this? And yeah, the whole idea is, is not only does this apply to LSAT studying, but this also applies to everything you do in life. I think we've mentioned that a couple of times, so the, the four stages.
1: But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think more specifically, I think it applies to a lot of the FAQs that we get in class, to the Ask yeah. button on the podcast. Generally, we get a lot of questions that I think can be generally addressed or at least like supported by the four stages that Kevin's laid out here, right? So some of the FAQs that I wanted to point out, the first one is how do I get faster? Ah, yes. (laughs) This is a question we get about every section, but every question type in every class somebody asks, how do I get faster at blank?
0: It's a very reasonable question. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a reasonable
1: question. There isn't (laughs) anything innately wrong with you asking, like, how do I get faster? Because you're thinking about how much you can get done in 35 minutes or with accommodated time, like whatever it is that you're dealing with, right? Yeah. But the question, the premise of the question implies that there is some fixed way that you can you know, go about this where then you will get faster. Right. It's like an if then statement where, like, if you do this, you'll get faster. There (laughs) you go. No
0: logic on an L side podcast. No. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Right. But think about it in terms of these four stages, and you'll find a lot more grace and patience in this process. At least that's how I'm feeling as I'm grappling with the four stages that Kevin's laying out here, because I'm understanding this as it's not a set amount of time that it's going to take, it's not a set process. It's a growing process. It's the acceptance that this is a this is a place where I need to learn. That's going to be different for different people. I'm actually one of those people that when I started, um, when I started like with my diagnostic, RC was probably my better section. I mm. think I got through like two, maybe two and a half passengers pretty well. And it was straightforward for me. And then I overcomplicated it for myself and got yeah. worse at RC. And then I was like, holy shit, this is a lot easier than it looks. It's just about seeing that the the answers are all in the passage. And then I like reversed out of my mistake. That's not ideal, but technically right. that's an answer to how do I get faster is go through that process, Allah of messing up, figuring it out, implementing some changes and then seeing what happens. Right. So the, how has a lot of weight in that question and it looks very different to, to different people. And I can't provide that like magical analysis to you anymore then I could have done it for myself several years ago when I was studying.
0: Yeah, it's a a process, you know, and this kind of ties into the next FAQ, you know, I've been studying for X how long, but I haven't gotten Y or, you know, whatever score or whatever method, you know, whatever, uh, you know, I don't understand worlds yet, or um, I only get perfect games or
1: something. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's like, that's irrelevant, largely irrelevant because everybody does it at their own pace and how you go through these stages is at your own pace too. So you could be stuck in the, um, you know, I'm looking at my whiteboard backwards right now. Um, You can be stuck in the conscious incompetence stage. You know exactly what's going on, but, and you know, you're doing stuff wrong. Uh, and, but you've been stuck there for a long time and that's, that's fine. You know, the, the process, the clicks, the, the changes in, um, that you've been developing over the course of a certain amount of time, again, it's different for everybody, but it's slowly built into the next stage and you'll get there eventually. Um, so don't, don't, yeah don't worry about, oh, I haven't hit it yet. The yeah. keyword is yet. You haven't hit it yet. You will. So,
1: right. And that's why we recommend students. And at least in my classes, I I recommend students to just focus on the phrase or the one piece of information in front of them. Their job isn't to do anything more than that. And that focus of going into that like phrase level of learning is actually where the growth comes in because then you're, you're in the weeds and you, and you go, you're going through the work of that particular question or that particular passage once you're done with the day, you've made a little bit more progress on getting better.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the most important thing you can do, is what am I doing yeah. every day to get better? And the results might right. not come, but as long as you're putting in the effort to get better, it's gonna it's, be it's just fine, so.
1: Yeah, and the next FAQ we had, which was that we we often get the question, about like, about the magic bean question about like, how do I get to the end? And like, how do I just like make it all work and work out for me? Yeah. Where's the shortcut? Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Like, what's the shortcut? How do I do this? And noticing that finding the light at the end of the tunnel, which is actually in some way is what we're trying to provide with this podcast, right? With this episode. yes, We're trying to give y'all an understanding of what the, what the whole arc, right? Of the, of the hero's journey looks like. So that when you do go through the stages, you're not feeling alone or devastated by the fact that nothing's working or nothing's getting better. And if you hit rock bottom, as the hero's archetype often does, yeah. you you know <laughs> that there is a way out, right? It's not it's not where you're doomed to, to live and just be there forever. It does get better. So we want to give you some hope and give you the light at the end of the tunnel, but with a huge caveat, which is that the tunnel is 98% of the work here. right we as teachers want to do our level best to make sure our students feel supported that we have empathy in the process that we that we make sure that you guys feel seen but at the end of the day it is long hard work on a consistent basis and that tunnel where it feels dark and scary is where you're going to make most of the progress so get friendly with the tunnel you know like start figuring out ways to be, to, to be friends with the LSAT. I tell my students all the time that the best way to get better at the LSAT is to fall in love with it. See the beauty in it. See the grace in the logic of it. Um, I adore formal logic, for instance, and it just brings me a lot of joy. And I don't think that I would have gotten through the LSAT if I made it an adversarial thing where it's mm-hmm. like the LSAT's against me and I am going to fight it and take it down. I do that for LR passages, but as a whole, on the, on the LSAT as a test, Um, I love this test. That's why I teach it. And that's why it's so enjoyable for me to continue to spend time in it.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's, you know, and if you're struggling to be friends with the tunnel right now, again, when we get to law school, we're going to have this next year when we're in law school, we got to be friends with that tunnel too. You know, it's a different tunnel, but same sort of concept. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last FAQ we're going to talk about here is uh, the quote, I get it, but I'm not scoring better. And that's not really the point. You are getting it. You've been getting it this whole time. You've been slowly getting more and more, get more at getting it. I just that's a weird <laughs> um, You know, the, every day, like we said, when you're building up, every day your Rocky montage is coming together. You're clicking things uh, together. Things make sense. That's your get it. You get it, and the results will come. Whether it happens right away, you know, like Al and I, we had a really rough time with it, taking official to LSATs. It didn't come right away, um, but uh, you know, getting it is just the beginning of the process. Um, and how you apply it is really crucial. So uh, keep, again, keep at it. Your score will come, the results are already there. You just gotta put them all together.
1: Yeah, and the putting it all together, that's why it's the fourth stage and the last stage of learning and I, I'm somebody that believes that the first 98% of doing anything is like relatively straightforward, but the last 2% and the last 2%, I believe is what would put you in the 170 category, right? The last 2% is the toughest. Yes. Right. Getting it to become a natural reaction is stuff that takes hours and hours to do. It's really difficult. It's going to challenge your personality. It's going to challenge a vast majority of who you are. Like, I think I'm a fundamentally different person than I was before I started studying for the test. And this test has shaped who I am.
0: Yeah. Same here. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: And I had to let that wash over me. Like Kevin and I had to like, accept the fact that we're different people and that we are going to go through this process and come out different at the other, on the other end. And a lot of students are resistant to change and we get that we were resistant to change as well, yeah. but the less resistant to change, you can be, and the more accepting of the learning process you can be, the better you're going to, the you know, better time you're going to have. And one of the reasons that we're talking about this is because competency is a huge part of your LSAT journey in general. One of the things I talk about in my classes is the confidence competency loop, which is that the more confident you get about something, the better you're going to get about it. And the better you get at it, the more confident you're going to be. And it's this loop that you go in. And I absolutely was someone that both benefited from it and also got really dinged in the process of the comp- confidence competency loop. Because as a person, I struggled with my confidence a lot on my LSAT journey. And as and because of that, even though I was getting better at the LSAT, I couldn't translate that as, oh, I am actually good at the LSAT, right? I couldn't be confident about it. But the more sort of symbiosis you can have with these two aspects of your LSAT journey, you know, learn a little bit today and then feel good that you learned something and then take that motivation on to the next day and then learn a little bit more, right? Yeah. I'm not someone that believes a ton in motivation. I, I I do think it's really about the why of what you're doing, but getting better at something does make you more confident and being more confident does, you know, give you the sort of fodder to go back into the ring. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this positive self talk idea, that's half the battle. You know, athletes have that um, in their head all the time. You know, it's like, yeah. hey, I'm on this stage. It's very scary. You know, if you're at the Olympics or even at your high school track meet, doesn't really matter. You're at the stage. You are there for a reason. You're in this LSAT journey for a reason. Um, give yourself a little bit of a break. It's okay. And kind of connecting this maybe a bit more concretely to something we advertise all the time, we always say, hey, hour of study a day. And people are like, yeah. well, I should study way more than that. You know, I have time, I can do it. And we're like, well, hold on. An hour of study a day gets you not only to focus on something really well for an hour, but also yeah. gives you the confidence that you're going to do it well um, if you focus mm-hmm. on that hour. So I love that confidence, competency loop um, thing you're talking about. of that's it. great. Cool. And then um, another reason why we're talking about this is it's, yeah, this is a this is a quote for me. Guess what? You've done this before. <laughs> You've done it before. You've gone yeah. through this whole stage, this whole process, uh, without even realizing it. Again, we we did the driving example. Um, you know, yeah. your first job, wherever your first job was for me, it was working retail. You know, working in a store. It's like, what the heck? I'm actually working here. I'm supposed to know things. You know, you, that that's a process. Yeah. You know, the yeah. first day is going to suck because you have no idea what's going on. Um, but yeah. Each day you go through it, the next week is going to be a bit easier than the previous week. And, you know, by the time you get to, for me, it was about six months. I was like, okay, I feel pretty comfortable about this now, but it's different for everybody, the the timing.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we also wanted to get into, like, what that looks like maybe on, like, a section-to-section basis. It's not that we're trying to apply the four stages specifically to these sections. What we're talking about is, like, giving you all some examples of, like, what some of these stage-adjacent feelings yeah, um, might look like in these different sections. So you yeah. want to kick us off with LR and LG, maybe, Kevin?
0: Sure. Yeah. So with logical reasoning, you know, your first stage is like, what's the conclusion? What the heck is that? Subconsciously, yeah. in real life, in any conversation you have, you know what a conclusion is because it's what the person is trying to tell you. But when you read it on the L side, it's a lot more confusing. It's not as apparent. Sometimes they don't, you know, they don't have the therefore transition word all the time, you know, cueing you up for a conclusion. So recognizing that, you know. First of all, not being aware of it is unconscious incompetence. Being aware of it and recognizing, oh, there's a conclusion here is conscious incompetence. And then the next stage, you finally understand, oh, there's a the conclusion because of this sentence before it and these other sentences yeah. supporting this sentence. That's conscious competence. And then stage four, you recognize the the conclusion right away because you just like, oh, that's what he's trying to tell me. You don't even have to think about it. Um, and that applies to premises as well. You know uh, when i my class my lr class guilty or not guilty is all about attacking bad arguments that process seems kind of weird at first like why would i attack this thing i don't really get what you mean by that um yeah. and going through the process of recognizing that oh yeah these guys are full of crap you just haven't you know seen why they're full of crap why their premises don't support their conclusion it's the same process you go through i don't know what we're doing okay i kind of understand that there's conclusion premises and we have to relate how the support supports the, the point the person is trying to make third one is like okay i see how the premises support this conclusion and here's why it took me a couple steps but i figured it out and the last one is oh yeah this is a bad argument full stop yeah i don't have to say anything else yep. So
1: yeah um, it just all clicks together naturally and that's the stage that we want to get y'all to and that's honestly the best part of the LSAT demon is that we want to teach y'all to attack this stuff intuitively and yeah. that is where this whole four stage process fits in so perfectly is because we want you to do it in your sleep.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, not 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 literally, right? We don't want you to. We'll get some rest. We want eight hours eight hours rest a day, right? You know? But anyway, I I, <laughs> I agree. Um, moving on to logic games, you know, what on God's green earth are worlds? You know, we advertise this this I wouldn't call it a fix all because it doesn't apply to everything, but it's pretty dang close to you know answering yeah, every single game. Is. Um And then then you start to realize, oh my god this is math. And then I, then I, we put a picture of Steve Carell, you know, screaming, no God, please no, no, you know, that, that, that meme. Um, it's that process, you know, what, what the heck are worlds you're watching Ben and Nathan do worlds on these videos. Um, you know, walking math through is games. the
1: Toby of my life.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, yeah. That is the Toby of life. That's, that should be the, the new saying out the demon. Um, yeah.
1: Just put that on a calculus textbook and I'll never pick it up. <laughs>
0: Side note, just a sidebar. I'm just thinking now memes are going to be on the cover of math textbooks in the future, aren't they? Oh, my God, no. (laughs) Anyway. You're uh, probably right. Yeah, but you're discovering worlds for the first time for Batch Games. You're watching Ben and Nathan go through it, and you're like, this is a foreign language. I have no idea what the heck they're doing here. How did they piece this together with what was said in this little short paragraph that they gave us on, on logic games? Then you start going through, okay, I kind of get how worlds work, why we use them. Um, I'm making mistakes, you know, that's that's fine. There's Mistakes are the best part of the learning process. Best thing you can do is make mistakes. And then you start to realize, you get to that third, third stage and you're like, okay, I'm putting the worlds together. I'm eliminating the rules one by one, building them and baking them into the worlds. And finally, you're like, Oh, these three worlds all combined to this one giant thing and I get it and the worlds are done in my head and whatever the questions are easy and you do the game in five minutes. You know, that's those are the, yeah. those are the four stages. Um right. so you can you can go from being Steve Carell um or Michael Scott in the office going, no God, please, no, um, to yes, God, please, yes, yes. I guess that would be the opposite.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, um
1: yeah. One of the things I wanted to to highlight on this, and this is just something for students to know generally, is I think the one of the things that I try to keep top of mind as a teacher with the LSAT is that I may be in an unconscious competence phase, but the vast majority of my students are not. And that is where the teaching and the learning happens. And so I do my level best to shift out of the automated right autopilot that I usually spend when I deal with the LSAT over to, hey, this is how it fits together. And so if any of the concepts that we've been talking about in this podcast and we've been using them as, as examples to, to help you understand what these four stages are, I just encourage you to check out the other podcasts that we have that go into what worlds are. Yes. that Like, you know, uh, Chris and I, who's another um, LSAT demon teacher, we have a podcast series on RC, right? We've got tons and tons of free resources out there for you on the, on the thinking LSAT podcast and the LSAT demon daily podcast as well. So check those out. If you're starting to feel like this is all foreign to me, Allah, I think you're (laughs) like, you know, name dropping a little bit, not telling me what this is. We're trying to use them as examples to make our larger point. So don't worry too much if you don't know everything that we're referencing. Um, But that's why we wanted to make as many references as we did to general things that people do know about. So you do understand um, the four stages themselves.
0: Yeah. And if you're like, oh, I would love to listen to this podcast, maybe like three or four weeks down the road. Once I kind of get familiar with the demon, do that.
1: You can listen yeah, to Yeah, come later. back to it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Maybe you're in one I of the would... early stages and you're like, okay, I kind of understand what the early stage is, but maybe when I get to those later stages and then I listen to this again, it makes a little bit more sense that way too. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I also wanted to talk about RC for a little bit about oh, yeah. like what, how this four stage process applies to RC. And I am somewhat of an RC advocate slash uh, maybe a little bit of an RC junkie. And RC is the thing, the the section of the test that I've dedicated my life to um, in terms of getting students to fall in love with it. Um, this is probably the section where students think, Oh, the four stages don't apply here. It's just reading and answering questions and you're not wrong. It is just reading and answering questions. At the end of the day, that's all you're being asked to do. However, the LSAT and the writing on the LSAT, the reading on the LSAT is fundamentally different from likely anything you've seen up until now in your undergraduate, you know, high school, even in your job, you may not have seen this kind of writing. Yeah. And what it tests you on is your ability to construct the story to understand what the author thinks is important. And to do that, you do need to go through the four stages. So when you first start out, you're gonna encounter words that you don't know. You're going to just blaze through the passage in like two minutes and then you'll be like, okay, yeah, I can answer questions about this. I know what I'm doing. These are just like sentences. Like I, I get it. This passage You're talking is to me about baseball. like nuclear fission. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Right. Um, And you're just like, you're just blaze through and you spend, end up spending 12 minutes in the questions because you've done absolutely none of the work up front. And you think that like somehow comparing different answer choices is what's going to give you the answer. And then you you end up debating between three. And then when you go to the review, you find out that the three that you were debating in between were all wrong and you ignored the right answer, right? All of those mistakes are things that'll happen in that first stage. When you start getting to the second stage, you start realizing exactly how they're testing you and how this test is set up as a whole, which is that even though it's 15 to 17 sentences, sometimes they're dense. Sometimes they don't give you a lot of lifelines in order to understand what they're talking about. They usually don't repeat themselves, right? You start figuring out, Oh, okay. This is a lot different of a beast than I thought it was before. Oh, yeah. When you get to the third stage you start putting the pieces together. You start reading the way that I get my students to read in in my classes or in private tutoring. It's all about the process of constructing the story of putting the pieces together, focusing on the why not the what, as Chris says, right? Doing all of those things. Um, they're going to be hard to do. It might even like, you may be attempting like three passages in the stage two, But once you actually figure out the work involved you might go down to only being able to attend to attempt two passages that happens to students all the time that's because you've dedicated to doing it right not just doing it quickly right and then as you get better and as you start you know getting better at those skills of how to read how to construct the story figuring out the answers before you even look at the questions understanding the main point all of that is gonna very you know slowly but diligently shift you into stage four where it's just it's just a it's just a thing that you do. It's like yawning. It's so normal to you. It's so casual. It's just something that you do where you take an in information and you're like, yeah, this is what they're talking about. I get it, right? It's not you being cocky like in stage one. It's actually like learned finesse that comes from doing the work putting in the, the time to understand how this process works. Um, and this four, this four stages thing, it may be, uh, hard to see how it fits in RC, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's probably the section where it fits the most. Um, it's a section that I think is most neglected by students oftentimes. Um, and it's that section where you can really see how honing your process is going to get you to be better at that autopilot, reading where you just understand everything that's going on.
0: Yeah. It's like rebuilding from the ground up, you know, trying to reset and going through these four stages will help you, you know, get rid of old bad habits and introduce new ones. Yeah, that You need for that. Exactly.
1: For, yeah. We also cool. wanted to touch on things that are like uses for your study journey in general, and just like some more broad takeaways for the four stages that we've talked about. One of the things that, that I want to, um, to make sure that I highlight is that the four stages, you're going to be at different stages of this in different areas of your LSAT journey. You're going to have to go through this stage, maybe multiple times. Sometimes like it's just going to feel weird and different and you're going to be at different levels, but generally on the LSAT, you're going to go through these four stages on the test as a whole, right? For instance, you might start getting really good at games. You're figuring it out, and then you realize there's a thing called Circle Slash. We have a couple of uh, boot camps, I believe, um, that cover Circle Slash. If you wanted to check those out, you make a. I don't even think you need to make a free account with the Demon, right?
0: Yeah, it's on YouTube uh, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. yeah,
1: the Circle Slash boot camp is on YouTube, and you can check that out. That's an entirely new tool that I kid you not. I did not really attempt or use until I was like solidly in the minus. Two to three range, four games. Same for me. And then I found it. And then I was back in the first stage of learning all over again, where I was like, whoa, what is this? How does it work? I don't understand. And then I had to go through those four stages again. So just know that this isn't something to win. That you don't have to win by getting to stage four. It's about staying present in the process and being patient with yourself to be okay at any stage that you might be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I said, it's a macro. It's macro in a sense that so you're doing it for the whole entire LSAT, but it's also uh, micro in, you know, specific contextual items or content items that you learn with the demon selves, like circle slash or a full what's a flaw question or, you know, um, reading a comparative passage, you know, there, you go through that process a million times, very, you know, without even thinking about it, or maybe, you know, you're listening to this podcast, and you're going to apply it to whatever you learn next with the demon. So it happens all the time. But I think another thing we need to talk about here is about mental health, too, because um, yeah. you know you can go through this process. And like we said, you can feel stuck in stage two, stage one, stage, you know, whatever stage you're at um, and feel like you can't get out. And that's OK. So,
1: yeah, the hope for this podcast episode is that you notice your own patterns. Yeah. Right. Like one of the one of the best ways to get out of bad habits is just notice that you have them. Right. Mm-hmm. Accepting that you that you have these impulses. And um, I am hoping that by talking about these four stages, you can stop beating yourself up a little bit, right? That's something that's common to most people that go through this process in general. But if you're a type A person, like most of my students that like, I don't know, Kevin, are you a type A person? I probably am. I- <laughs> probably. Most <laughs> lawyers tend to be at least a little type A. Yeah.
0: I have to ask my my friends to see what they say because <laughs> yeah. I, I don't pay too much too attention to it. So
1: most of my students are Type A students. Most of the teachers at the Demon are probably Type A um, teachers, right? We're just we're just people that are really hard on themselves because we strive for the best. We want to do the best, and I am so proud of all the students that sign up for that kind of you know goal and that want to get there. But it can take a really big toll on you, and to understand where you are in these four stages of learning. Might help you ease up a little bit on yourself and understand that this is a process right it's not something you win at it's something you do consistently every day
0: yeah and you know the kind of building on that into another component of this mental health rec- recognition that we have to consider um is that we need to recognize that giving yourself permission to take time Take how much, however much time you need to grow and to learn and to evolve or adapt to whatever situation you have, is really, really important. It's it's vital to us getting better at something. And you know, you heard the old adage, or you know, whatever, Rome wasn't built in the day. You know that happens all the time. And throughout Mm -hmm. life with everything that you do, it's a slow process. And however slow it is for each person, it's different. So, um, just because it's, it's really hard, especially nowadays to not compare yourself to other people, especially people you like graduated with in school, or you worked with for a while and they're now doing really cool things. And you're like, oh, that's so cool. I wish I could be like them. And sure. That's, that's a normal response. But at the same time, they do things differently than you that they probably wish that they had that you have. So, you know, It's very unhealthy and very, very difficult. I struggle with this all the time. You know, you get on social media and you see people doing cool things. You're like, whoa, I wish I could do that too. And realize that you'll get to do cool things too. You just got to take the time and treat yourself nicely as you uh, progress and get better at something.
1: Yeah, another aspect of it is just being aware that this is normal. Yeah. The struggle of learning is the normal. The normal isn't to just like get it And then just be okay and just like start doing fine that's not normal that's actually like the outlier of scenarios the normal is the everyday feeling of like ick and not getting it and the and the and it not feeling good and the anxiety nerves all of that that's your normal yeah right and students often feel like oh that's not what i should have every day and they try to get away from it and that ends up making them worse at the test or or um, freaks them out in some other way and it's because they're doing themselves a disservice by thinking that normal shouldn't include any bad feelings, and normal definitely includes bad feelings on a day to day. So you got to come up with a system of some sort to be able to grapple with them, handle them. Therapy, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. Right, if that's therapy is that's, awesome. That, yeah, if that's if, that, if that's something that's feasible for you or possible for you, I recommend that. But just being aware that it doesn't feel good as you go through the process. It's gonna have lots of bumps along the road um, and just normalizing that as as your everyday.
0: Yeah, and type on therapy, and I've done therapy, so it's, you know, there's no stigma around it. Go do therapy. Hell yeah. Yeah, therapy's awesome. Um, So yeah, if you're stuck in a rut, if you're like, oh my gosh, I've been in stage two, I just realized I've been in stage two for like six months, you know, that's totally normal. If you really wanna have, talk about it and have specific questions about how to you know how does this whole thing work i'm going to shameless plug here and throw it to Ola. she'll probably talk about something like this with inner class plateau pulverizer because this is exactly the sort of thing that you would talk about in your class
1: right yep um that's why i pitched the class and that's why i have that class in general um as a community space where we talk about different things that might help you so it's called plateau pulverizer the idea is that you come and listen to um Different strategies and approaches that might sort of bring the hope and the fun back into the process. Um, if you are stuck in a rut and feeling like there's no way out, there's lots of things we focus on. Sometimes I highlight things in the topic of mental health. I'm not a mental health professional, but I am um, try to advocate for students looking inward if they can. Um, we talk about like actual LSAT approaches. We talk about a wide range of things, all of which are, you know, to focus on on bringing that rejuvenation back into the process.
0: Yeah, and that's a great um, thing. To, you know, we want to have, we want to not only in your class, but in my class too, we want to create a space, safe space for you to ask questions, make mistakes, you know, help you on this crazy journey because it's, you know, the journey you're going on, I can't say that it's exactly as difficult or as grueling as as uh, what you might be experiencing right now, but we've been through a difficult and grueling journey too. We've been there. So take advantage of us, not only with the LSAT content, but with, you know, how can we help you with your mental health or um you know, with trying to enjoy the L set again, as you say. So um yeah. Feel free to ask questions, you know, you can go to Allah's class and do it in kind of a more of a specific structured setting with her plateau pulverizer class, or you can just chat with me. I like to hang out before yeah. after my classes. That so awesome. You're more than welcome to hang out and ask, but I think that's pretty much it. Um
1: Yeah. Just know that it won't happen overnight. And even if you listen to the pod as you fall asleep and want to learn by osmosis, it will not happen overnight. Um, and take some comfort in that notion that it's not overnight. It's the everyday thing. And you yeah. can control the everyday thing. You do have a say in, in how that happens. Um, and we wanted to do this to give you guys some awareness and help you feel less alone. Cause we know how isolating this journey can be. Um, right. This is how real learning happens is in these kinds of stages um and both Kevin and I like like he said we've experienced this a lot in lots of different areas but it was really really intense on the on the LSAT specifically yeah yeah
0: cool well thanks for being here all thanks for joining me on this for staging Yeah, of Thanks, Kevin. Journey.
1: This was awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, for those of you listening, I hope you get something out of it just as much as we have. Cause, you know, I kind of wish we had this when I was studying for the LSAT. I didn't really think about it too much, but it would have been helpful. Yeah. So, but if again, if you're listening, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions, you can email LSAT or excuse me, email daily at LSATDemon.com. You can ask us a question about the LSAT or law school admissions-related news or about conscious competence, whatever you want. But thanks for listening.
1: Thanks, y'all.